two generations. One passion. This is Generation Red. Welcome back, Husker fans, for another episode of Generation Red, the kettle corn of Husker fan podcasts, featuring your favorite father and son combo who try to be sweet, but at times we get a little bit salty. I am your very happy and somewhat sweet host, Ken. And I am your, yes, very happy, very satisfied, less, uh... (laughs) Less, uh, what is it, emotionally distraught and existentially challenged host, Scott. <laughs> oh my, we have never been more happy to be completely wrong. Because uh, last night in Memorial Stadium, the Huskers faced off against, well, Hydrox and you in a normally tough Big Ten West showdown under the lights, and it resulted in a 56-7 to declawing of the Mildcats. From Nebraska's first offensive snap to the last, the Huskers left no doubt about the outcome. Add in a crazy loud sold-out crowd. (laughs) That's a pretty cool rhyme. Another smothering performance by the Black Shirts, plus a surprising 84-yard punt by Will Pristop. And there was no doubt this was to be Nebraska's night. Scott was there while I ironically had to listen to the game as I drove across Oklahoma. We will look into the final stats as we review the beatdown of Northwestern, update the plus-minus game, and give you our players of the game. Then we will wrap up with a quick rundown of Thursday's episode, which will preview the upcoming game against the Michigan Hugh Jackmans. I know, I had to make that joke because, you know, Wolverines. I could have gone 1980s uh, Red Dawn, too, so just be glad I didn't do that. Uh, But anyway, before we do all that, Scott, why don't we take a look back at all the crazy that happened in the top 25 yesterday? (laughs) Uh, Hey, folks. Um, As you can tell, my father is the embodiment of the dad joke and loves the dad joke. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) He loves to roll with the puns. Uh, I guess he might need to take a shot of penicillin, and that would be. uh, Ah, That's my joke. (laughs) I know it is. You know, that would be. That would be perfect, though, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah what? Kitty, kitty. What? Cat got your tongue? <laughs> <laughs> That's wild. You might need to pat yourself on the back there, Fitzgerald. Oh, man. All right, mm-hmm. I'm done. Um, speaking of Sorry, Pat Fitzgerald. got cornholed. <laughs> oh, God, we're terrible already. Um, <laughs> speaking of Pat, Pat Fitzgerald, uh, I texted this to the, uh, to the family while Kelsey and I were walking down the Haymarket area to get some food before the game. I literally ran, I almost, I almost literally ran into Pat Fitzgerald as we were trying to scoot through a crowd. Um, oh, that's because, cool. yeah, he was, uh, heading out of the graduate there. That's where their team was posted up. Um, mm-hmm. and I like almost ran into him. As a cop was following right behind him, I was like, oh, shoot. And then I saw the whole team just start pouring out. And I was like, oh, gosh. So I had to wait for the entire Northwestern team to load up on their bus as they had, as they were heading to the stadium. And I just was like, wow, I literally almost shoulder-checked Pat Fitzgerald. That would have been a really bad, awesome day if I would have done that. Um, can I get your but, autograph, Coach? Can, can I get your <laughs> autograph you before, the street? We, before our, you know – we shoulder check you. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. But anyway, sorry, I kind of got off there, off track there for a second with the puns. But uh, let's do a top twenty-five rundown that we got to uh, either witness or not witness this uh, this college football weekend. It was a crazy weekend of college football. We saw top uh, four top ten teams fall, and a total of nine top top twenty-five teams lose this weekend. And I'll try and keep it short, but I can't help but notate a bunch of great games. Um, First off on the list here on Friday night, Iowa, number five, Iowa, stomps Maryland in uh, an undefeated Maryland. 
um, on a Friday night showdown, beating them 51-14. Iowa forces seven turnovers, and Tulia Tungavaiola was leading the FBS in the least amount of interceptions thrown. Uh, I can't remember exactly what it's that's in relation to, because I'm sure there's other quarterbacks who haven't thrown interceptions, but I think it was in regard to uh, how he was leading the FBS in um, yards or something weird like that. I just snagged that information off of ESPN, but they didn't, they didn't really go into further detail of what that meant. But, um, and then in one game is now leading the FBS in interceptions thrown. So, uh, <laughs> way to go took Viola. Um, I mean, he was just trying to make plays. He was, he was really trying his hardest. I was watching that game for the most part, all the way up until Iowa really ran up the score. Then I kind of lost interest and, uh, went and hung out with my wife and watched some Netflix with her. So um, Iowa's defense definitely looks like a top 10 defense, if not a top five defense. They are ball hawks. They are looking for turnovers that they can get at any point, and they are pressuring quarterbacks like none other. So uh, Iowa proved their top five uh, stock, and that's why they're also ranked number three in the nation, especially after Oregon lose, uh, lost, but I'll get to that. Uh, up next, we have... Uh, Number 13, BYU, that has now crept into the top 10 after beating Utah State 34-20. to Like I said, Husker Nation, I have a soft spot for BYU for whatever reason. Don't know why. I shouldn't, considering that they beat us in uh, a Hail Mary back in, was it 2015 or something like that? Um, yeah. Yeah. I shouldn't have a soft spot for them, but I kind of do. I like the underdog and um, nothing, nothing like a bunch of Mormons all running around creating havoc in the football landscape. So, um, <laughs> yep, they beat Utah State 34-20. to 20. Next up on my list, I've got number two, Georgia. They show that they are, in fact, a college football playoff contender by shutting out number eight, Arkansas, 37-0. Georgia, they look like the most complete college football team in the nation right now, and I reckon that they are actually better than Alabama at this point. They don't play Alabama in the regular season, so it will definitely be a great SEC championship if they win out. Um, I got a question for you, Dad. Yeah, go ahead. If Alabama loses in the SEC championship against presumably Georgia, do you think the college football playoff committee still puts Alabama in the college football playoff? In in two words, yeah, they do. Well, four words. <laughs> <laughs> Good math. Quick math. Yeah, they do. There's no doubt in my mind that that uh, anybody and everybody knows that when you make the entrance into a playoff a subjective choice as opposed to based on record or based on merit, uh, and everybody thinks that the SEC is the best thing since sliced bread, yeah, there's no doubt. Even if Alabama, if they both go in there undefeated and Alabama loses, even if they get blown out, I, they'll, I still think they end up in the playoff. It's just the way it, the playoff's going to work. Which is crazy because let's say Bama's still number one and Georgia's yep. number two and Georgia beats them in the SEC. Bama presumably goes to the number fourth ranked team and then they just play again right right next to each other. And Lord knows that Bama will win that second bout. Right. Right. I completely agree. It's it's really hard to win against the same team twice. But then if you make it back to back games, like, holy crap, that's, that's a lot for, uh, that's, that's what happened to LSU. If you remember in 2012, was it 2011, 2012, I think they beat, they beat Alabama at home and then they both ended up in the BCS title game and Alabama put it on them. I think it was like what, 20 to zero or something crazy like that. So it's what Saban's good at. You know, you give him a second shot at you, you're probably done. Yep. So, but yeah, I think, I think they end up in the, in the playoff together. I agree. I agree with that. Um, cause I mean, there's really not any other team that could prove their worth at this point. Um, if Oregon can creep back up there, but I doubt it. Um, yeah. All right. So moving on number 14, Michigan dominates Wisconsin, beating them uh 38 to 17. I got a burp. Hold on. Oh God. Okay. There we go. Um, which Very that was, push. that was pretty much the exact same sound that Wisconsin seems to, uh, emanate whenever they play <laughs> football at this point. Um, just a big old gassy bag of ass. So, uh, yeah, 
Wisconsin's offense looks bad. And not only bad, but bad, bad. Uh, against Michigan's, we'll say formidable defense, they were only able to generate 210 total yards of offense. And yeah, they just, their defense is, is good, but they just weren't able to, they weren't able to make anything happen against, against Michigan. And for good reason, I mean, We've experienced it as Husker Nation. When your defense is carrying your entire team, they can only do that for so long before they yeah. get uh, before they get discouraged and they can't sit there and win every game. So Michigan fall or Michigan falls, Wisconsin falls to Michigan, um, putting Michigan in the top ten now. I think is what it is. I think they're ranked tenth, something like that. Ninth, um, I think is what ninth? I saw when I was researching. Yep. Ninth. Okay. So moving on. Number seven. This is a great game. Number seven, Cincinnati defeats number nine, Notre Dame, 24 to 13. Uh, this was Cincinnati's first game against a top 10 regular season opponent in their program's history, and they came out on top. Uh, yeah. The real question with this is, is Cincinnati the real deal at this point, putting themselves in the top five after this week's ranking uh, release, or is Notre Dame just overrated as they usually are? Um, I guess that is a, <laughs> is a rhetorical question, but what do you think, Dad? Do you think Notre Dame is as overrated as they've always been, or is Cincinnati and uh, Luke Fickle really showing their worth to the college football playoff committee at this point? Well, I'm not sure I would call Notre Dame overrated, and there's there's a reason for that. Number one, Notre Dame being an independent, they tend to schedule a much tougher um, opponents, and they're off out of conference because now they're in the ACC, right? So um, Cincinnati's no slouch, so they schedule them. God bless them for scheduling them. Um, but when that game at home, didn't Cincinnati go in there and beat them? Or was yes. it at, in Cincinnati? They went in there and beat them. After yes, they did. They smoke showed Wisconsin the week before. So I'd say that probably speaks more highly of Cincinnati than it speaks badly of uh, Notre Dame, in my opinion. Luke Fickle's a hell of a defensive coach. And obviously, they played really good defense that day. So I don't think Notre Dame's overrated. I just think Cincinnati's that good. I agree with you. Uh, I think Cincinnati looks like a very like a a very good potential for being a play a college football playoff contender. Um, don't know how that will all play out if they do get into the college football playoff, but this would be the first Group of Five uh, football team to make it to the college football playoff since its implementation, and that alone is a really exciting um, possibility for me. Um, so let's move on. Number one, Alabama routes number 12, Ole Miss, 42 to 21. Alabama scoring 35 points in the first half, but being outscored 21 to seven in the second half has definitely caused Kurt cause for concern for Nick Saban and company. This Alabama team is definitely still top four team in my opinion, but they have struggled in the second half against uh, two big games now, which would be Florida and Ole Miss. Um, even though they won by a comfortable margin against Ole Miss, I don't think this is one of the better Bama teams that we have seen in recent history. And I know that Nick Saban speaks about that uh, passive aggressively in his uh, press conferences where he's constantly calling out his team for not playing complete games and making mental mistakes, allowing uh, teams to play a little bit harder against them than Alabama would like. So uh, I guess that's pretty much it. I was kind of bummed out. I was kind of hoping it was a, a closer game than what it was, but the fact that Ole Miss was able to score 21 points in the second half, and they were by no means garbage points either. The I think the two touchdowns that they – they got were in the third quarter and let me actually fact check this really quick oops clicked on the wrong game nope just kidding uh they scored one touchdown in the third quarter and then they scored their final two touchdowns uh with 
less than nine minutes left to go in the fourth quarter. So they were garbage. They were garbage touchdowns. I stand corrected. Disregard every every opinion I just gave about the game. Alabama rocks. So um, <laughs> moving yeah, on. That was that was a depth building game. By the time the fourth quarter came along, I bet the number twos and threes were in there for Bama. I I I, I would not be surprised with that. So. Um, all right, so moving on, unranked 2-2 two and two Stanford upsets number three Oregon in an overtime battle, winning 31-24, to 24, like I said, in overtime. Um, honestly, I really just think that Oregon is overrated, and they definitely underestimated Stanford in this one. Even though they did beat Ohio State, it still remains to be shown that Ohio State is even a good team this year. Um, Oregon is still the top 25 team in my book, but I don't think a top five and I don't think that they find a way into the top four again, unless, uh, teams above them continue to fall, which, uh, this is nowhere near the 2007 season where we saw like every number two team in the nation lose like every single week. <laughs> um, that was just an insane, that was a wild year. It was, it was the most <laughs> wild year especially in the BCS era, but in recent history where just, if you had the rank of number two, get f***ed. Yeah. Cause it was, it, it, that's also the year that LSU went on to win the national championship with Bo Pelini as their uh, defensive coordinator. With two right? losses, with two with losses, two losses, which was, I think they're, they were the first team to win a national championship with two losses, weren't they? Yes. And I think Oklahoma uh, only had one. They went like wire to wire almost as number one team. Yeah, and it was crazy because we could have very well seen uh, Missouri or Kansas go to the national championship. Yep. At one point, West Virginia was literally, I can't remember, it was like an overtime game. It was like one score away from going to their first national championship game in program history. And it just was, oh man, wild. Um, so, yep. man, we're, we're having, we're already starting this podcast. It's off a with- fun flipping year really it is it is it is it's been a fun doggone year to watch so far in the top 25 um yep so yeah that i think i think you're right i think oregon may have been a little bit overrated uh but that is a greg shiano defense that osu just put the uh screws to yesterday so i i still think ohio state's probably the class of the big 10 yep they're just kind of getting their footing underneath them at this point and i think oregon woke them up so anyway go on what was your next one Next one is going to be number six, OU, Oklahoma, survives against uh, Kansas State again. Um, And what I mean by again is that Kansas State has upset OU in the last two years, and Kansas State put themselves in the position to possibly do it again in dramatic fashion after a 93-yard kick return for a touchdown with a minute and 20 remaining in the fourth quarter. But with a failed onside kick, they fall to OU in close fashion, losing – 37 to 31 um that was uh wow yeah kansas state's always played oklahoma tough they have kansas state's always been a thorn in texas side as well i mean been many a year that kansas state just shows up and bites somebody in the on their field half the time kansas state would beat them at oklahoma so uh, Lincoln Riley, I think, has solved that problem, though. I think I don't think he's lost to Kansas State since he's been the head coach, uh, but you might want to fact check that. I think uh, he might have lost Stoops his first year. Stoops regularly lost. Was it his first? Because is this yeah, is this Lincoln right. Riley's? This is Lincoln Riley's fourth season, right? Yeah, fourth yeah. or fifth. So he would have lost his first year because, like I said, That's Kansas right. State That's beat right. them the last two years, and so by process of elimination, OU. Uh, Oh, you would have won their game in 2018. So let's move on. Uh, number 10, Florida falls to unranked, but undefeated Kentucky winning, uh, Kentucky winning 20 to 10. Wandale Robinson scores their first touchdown of the game with a screen pass mm-hmm. <laughs> for uh, 41 yards in the first quarter. Uh, Imagine that. 
Yep. And if you watch that highlight, man, Robinson went all out. He juked, he juked like three dudes out of their cleats, yeah. brushed one guy off, and, and it was I an impressive touchdown. Me too, man. If we still I had. I miss that athleticism for sure. Dude, but. like, I, I can't remember if we said this in our last podcast or if it was just some banter we had with each other in like our personal discussions. But if we still had Wandale Robinson and JD cool. Spielman on our squad right now, holy yeah. shit. We would mm-hmm. have an incredibly dynamic offense right now, but uh, transfer portal pretty dynamic strikes. last night. Oh yeah, so, and who knows? Fresno, maybe they wouldn't have. Maybe they would have. They did lose to Hawaii. I was wondering if they were going to. Yes, but yeah, I, I'm sorry. I didn't yeah. mean to move on on you. You're good. Uh, I just wanted to state with that Kentucky win against Florida, it was their first time beating Florida at their own home stadium since 1986. Mm-hmm. It's kind of crazy. It's been a while. It has. But if I'm if I'm correct, I'm not going to fact check this because I don't remember where I found it way down deep in an ESPN article. But Kentucky did beat Florida like two years or in like 2018, I think, in the swamp. So uh, right. it's just fascinating that they haven't won at home against Florida in well over 30 years. So – Anyway, so last notable game, as my dad alluded to earlier, number 18, Fresno State, gets upset by unranked Hawaii. Yeah, 27 to 24. This was Hawaii's first win against a ranked opponent since 2010 when they beat number 19, Nevada. Uh, oh my gosh. I haven't even drank any carbonated beverages, and I'm like, good supper is what that is. Yes, I'm eating some tuna and noodles with some peas. Uh, right now. So if you guys hear some clanking and some chewing, it's because I'm trying to attempt to eat eating dinner while recording a podcast because that's how professional we are here at the Generation Red podcast. So, uh, yeah, well, there are, I cracked a beer. So, <laughs> well, there we are. Yep. We're just rocking There's and rolling game. with our those with were our, some uh, good games. They were. These are the, these are the games. These are the games that I chose to highlight, even though there were plenty of notable games altogether. Um, but yes, Husker nation, I'm not advertising, but if you want to follow what's happening in the college football landscape, just download the ESPN app and follow anything and everything college football. You get all your stats, all your analytics, all your, uh, top 25 showdown and, uh, all division one FBS every game. Um, I mean, it's probably common knowledge for most, uh, football fans, but, uh, I'm actually surprised with all the dudes that I talk to when it comes to football, that they don't have the ESPN app downloaded um, where they can just, at the ease of, of your finger touches, you can just get yeah. anything and everything college football. So, like I said, I'm not advertising for them. I don't even particularly like ESPN, but they do have the most seamless and user-friendly well, app if, when it comes to college they football. Really, honestly, if they wanted to sponsor the best father-son Oscar podcast, out there they're they're more than welcome oh yeah gladly advertise oh i'm just kidding i love espn espn is awesome they have great objective stuff uh you guys are great there's no no blemishes with you guys (laughs) whatsoever um and if you guys want to send us a paycheck i will not say no um hashtag snarkasm yes (laughs) well well dad what do you say you got something yeah, yeah, we we need to move on to what's been really fun, which was being completely wrong about Saturday night's game. And I think you've got a few comments, especially since you were there. You should really take the floor and start this off. And let everybody know what you saw through your point of view up there in the stands. I don't know what section you were sitting in, uh, so I'll be curious to find that out, too. Husker Nation, we did it. We pulled off the win. As my dad points his finger at me, I was like, a, you go, get it. Um, yes, I was at the game. I sat in section 39, row 82, seats 11 and 12 with my wife. Got a pretty decent view of the field, uh, looking south. Although, like I said, man, those seats up in the 600 sections, they're, they're undefeated. They're the best. I, I don't care what anybody says about them. I love, I love those seats up there. Um, I actually like a little bit higher up of a view because you really get the angles and the dynamics and the depth of perception of what the hell is going on. Um, and I just love them. But my seats were good. They were good. It was a part of the three game package that the university provided. Um, so 
yeah, uh, I just kind of got what I got and I couldn't throw a fit, but all right, well, here we go. We finally, we finally completed a game in the Scott Frost era that I saw us play an entire game being efficient in all three phases. Our offense looked unstoppable. Our defense played well within their means, and our special teams looked like they were aware of their shortcomings and played safe but disciplined. Our offensive line is where I noticed the most improvement in this game, which we talked about in in last week that we weren't even gonna we weren't even gonna say keys to victory victory would be our offensive line because we just didn't see much hope for any sort of significant change. But lo and behold, we saw some change. Um, Teddy Prochaska took over the left tackle spot. Will Nor- Noradine Nuelli locked down mm-hmm. the left guard spot, and uh, was it wasn't Bryce Benhart? Bryce Benhart got sat on the bench. Somebody took over the right tackle position. Um, Corcoran moved over. Corcoran. Corcoran moved over. That's yep. who it was. Turner Corcoran took over the right tackle position, and the contrast of that change was day and night. Martinez actually had a pocket to work with, and the rushing lanes that were created mm-hmm. were more than sufficient. Not to mention, we had zero false starts until, well, Ben Hart, ben Hart came, came back in, <laughs> came back in <laughs> with the twos. Uh, yeah, it's like son of a. Bitch. Uh, it was like the it was the first drive too. It was like as soon as he gets put in, first thing he does, false start, first snap, flag. No, sure. like, what are you doing, it. bud? Um, yeah. Yeah. So I think that they, um, Prochaska and Nuelli, have solidified their spot in the ones, and I'm curious to see how they stack up against the solid Michigan defense. Jockez mm-hmm. Yant, my boy, my preseason pick for who I was looking forward to seeing, finally got a chance to shine, and boy, did he brasso mothers and, tor- and turtle wax his way to success because, dude, mm-hmm. he looked great. Um, like mm-hmm. just awesome. He might not have the Derrick Henry or Divine Azigbo speed that we have seen in other teams with big bruiser backs as such, but he certainly proved his ability to find a hole and cut to the outside to make a play. Um, specifically a 64 yard run. Dude, that thing was that play that was, was insane. He 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 stiffed armed so many dudes, but um yes. A 13 carries, 127 yards, and like I said, his longest rush was 64 yards, and he proved his ability to be our bell cow at this point. His stiff arm was mm-hmm. as equally hard as my <laughs> when I watched him dominate the defenders attempting to bring him down. Uh, <laughs> I looked forward to seeing what I look forward to seeing what else he has to provide for the dynamics of our offensive scheme for the rest of the season and i think it's safe to say he is no longer number four on our depth chart um yeah man i just wish uh he would have been able to see the end zone he had no touchdowns to show for his performance but once again i think a lot of that had to do with by the time we got down into the red zone with his efforts he had to have been gassed out man um and so ramir johnson kind of took over as as a uh, they were rotating in and out with each other, and he had a great game. Ramir Johnson had a great game with 12 carries for 74 yards and two touchdowns. Um, I remember, dude. I remember during the preseason, I was trying to figure out if Johnson was going to find himself getting more carries since he has been here for three years and hasn't really seen much playing time. And I think all of Husker Nation was wondering uh, if he'd just find himself in the transfer portal. But yeah. it seems he, it seems, but he seems to have fixated himself as one of our top three running backs at this point, if not number one. Um, and I'm proud of him for that. Uh, I just mm-hmm. wanted to see him break a huge run for a touchdown because I don't think we have seen his two true potential for break breakaway speed. Um, he was close. He was he close. Was close a couple times. But he's so quick, he just trips himself. <laughs> he gets so he's so fast he runs he runs faster than his body can even keep up and he trips himself <laughs> up before defenders can so that's interesting but um yeah dude martinez played a solid game his accuracy still has some sus moments but for the most part he makes plays when they like when they count like or 
What am I trying to say? But for the most part, he makes plays when they count. I don't know what I was thinking when I wrote that down, but when it matters, he gets it yes. done. Yep. Yes. Um, it also helps that he actually had a pocket to go through his progressions with. Like I loved sitting there watching Martinez sit in a pocket, like mind blowing big brain move right there. Mm-hmm. Um, he put the ball right where it needed to go with his 70 yard pass to Samari Torre on the first drive his perfectly placed toss to Omar Manning at the beginning of the second quarter for a 28-yard gain, finding Levi Falk for an 18-yard gain uh, to continue our drive that led to another touchdown before the half, almost dotting mm-hmm. bets during the third quarter, um, but that, of course, was uh, was negated by a pass interference because uh, I think he had the ball placed exactly where bets could get it and the defender pushed him out of the way. But yep. – then he immediately dots Torre for a 38-yard mm-hmm. touchdown after that pass interference. Um, and yes, Martinez proved his ability to make big plays with his arm. Um, his legs and his ability to keep the second and third levels of uh, of the defense on their heels by scoring three total touching, three total rushing touchdowns is definitely propping himself up as the most dynamic quarterback in all of the Big Ten. I think it's safe to say that at this point. Um, yes, sir. Our wideouts and our tight ends look as dynamic as I've ever seen a Scott Frost receiving group look. Um, they're big, they're tall, they are finding ways to get open, and the sky's the limit with any of these guys so long as our offensive line can help. Um, Betts is probably, honestly, man, Betts is going to probably be one of the legendary wide receivers at Nebraska, if his trend continues in an upward direction, like he just looks dynamic. He looks incredibly uh, athletic, his ability to just, he has that second gear that is just unstoppable. Um, So I just look forward to see where he comes uh, or where he goes in the Nebraska program. So um, I want to see, Martin. I want to see Oliver Martin finish off his senior season strong. Manning yep. also has Manning, Omar Manning also has an insanely high ceiling. Uh Falk and Lever are solid, and I think our twos, our number two guys such as Will Nixon and Alante Brown, will find themselves playing even more after uh Falk graduates, because Falk is a senior this season. Mm-hmm. Um but man, I can name off more dudes, but since they haven't truly been seen up to this point i won't speculate with that (laughs) um i'll just kind of pause my thoughts right there uh and then i'll move on to the defense um what do you think man what what was your overall impression of the Mm -hmm. offensive uh the offensive uh showcase that we got to witness well the first play in the first half on uh when Adrian throws it deep. Uh, it looked to me like it should have been intercepted, but Terrain oh, makes yeah. a great play to get back to the ball. Uh, I think the safety was just standing there waiting. He didn't. He didn't realize Torrey was that damn athletic. Uh, and then, um, if it's not intercepted, or if it is intercepted, I have a feeling that might have changed the whole course of the game. So it was a good thing that Torrey made that play because I really think it's set everything in motion that needed to be set in motion. I agree with you on the Yantinator or Jacques the Rock, as I like to call him. I like uh, that. That 64-yard run was a thing of beauty, but that stiff arm, holy crap. You know, otherwise that's a 49-yard run without that stiff arm. So, And it, they really didn't look like they were pursuing him all that hard. Like, oh, we got to tackle this guy. <laughs> um, and as you said, you know the really re- the only regret about this game for Yant is the fact that he did not get an opportunity to get in the red zone to score, uh, but he did have those thirteen rushes, hundred twenty seven yards, long of sixty four, averaged nine point eight yards a carry, which kind of sit. I look at another regret when it comes to Yant's game, only because he wasn't given the opportunity to carry the ball on that fourth down and four that we did not convert in the second quarter. I wish oh. they would have just left him in the game and said, go get four. I think he would have got four. Hell, he I think he would have done every time he touched the ball. Uh, so I, I think we almost outplayed called ourselves on that one. Um, but yeah, I, loved watching him run. Last I'd be night curious sure. to see 
what his shortest run was. Like, I can't imagine it's any shorter than three yards. One or two, one one or two that were like three yards, but he always fell forward. So, yeah. (laughs) And then that twenty-five yard option run uh, by Martinez on that third possession was just. But the option game looked like that all night, except for like I think the first one they tried wasn't all that great with Manning on the pitch as the pitch man. Uh, but then once they established that tough running up between the tackles with Ramirez and with the ant, it literally sets the option up perfectly, and it's going to be tough to stop if we can keep blocking on that left side, like uh, Prohaska and um, Norelli were able to do. So that run did follow two incomplete passes that. If Martinez put some where they actually really needed to be, they both would have been touchdowns, and that option run wouldn't have happened. But, uh, man, when he faked that safety out with that fake pitch to, I think it was Ture on the outside, uh, that was crazy. I mean, it faked out the radio guys because I listened to the game. I didn't get to watch it because I was driving. And it completely faked out sharp. Um, and then next thing, and he goes, oh, crap, he's going to score, you know, something like that. So it was pretty funny. Let's see here. The, the black shirts, which you're going to get to here in a minute, they only gave up one touchdown on the Northwestern's third drive. Uh, they clamped down after that. Ramir gets his first TD on the next possession on a really powerful run for a little guy. I thought he really pushed his way into the end zone quite well. But they said on the TV and on the radio that it was his first Husker touchdown. I could swear he scored against Maryland in 2019, but maybe not. I didn't really research it much i was just kind of writing down notes as i thought of them um the next possession for northwestern they're down inside our one and then jojo jumps in there with a sack and a forced fumble on and gets the ball back and that's the drive where we didn't convert on fourth down where i wish yant would have been in the game and been given the ball northwestern then goes for it on fourth twice after that converts one but not the other one and then that next drive is when Nebraska scores. Their, uh, uh, Ramirez scores his second TD on a nine-yard burst, uh, and he rushed for 34 yards of the 59 yards on that scoring drive. So that was pretty impressive, and he came really close to breaking some huge plays, as we said earlier. Seems like he uh, tends to trip himself up, because I think he's so damn excited that there's room to run. <laughs> he doesn't know <laughs> I, what to I do. I completely agree with that. <laughs> so, But when he does relax a little and he does get loose, it's going to be electric, and I'm really hoping that happens coming Saturday. Uh, but his speed is definitely elite, And uh, but that first TD, wow, that was really all about power. For as small as he is, he is uh, strong. He, he pushed those um, guys straight to the end zone. It was yep. it was a sight to see. <laughs> yep. I was very you proud know, of then, the guy. Then the second half, of course, starts out with that thunderous three and out by the black shirts, and then that quick option pitch to Betts. It fooled the radio guys again because it was so well executed. Um, I think Betts was probably 20 yards down the field before they realized he had the ball. <laughs> so, and he's, and then you watch it on TV. He's so smooth. He's kind of a gliding type runner. You don't realize he's that damn fast. He it just doesn't look like he's moving, but it doesn't nobody take him, was near him. It doesn't take him all but 10 yards to get to his full stride. Yep. Because you could see the defenders, they were they had their angle as if he wasn't going to reach his breakout speed yet. Yep. But by the time they had committed to that <laughs> angle, he was gone. He was gone. Yep. There was not a single person that was going to catch up with him. It was it was as pretty as it could be for an option play, mostly because the execution was absolutely perfect. When you watch it on TV, if you ever get a chance, I, I, I watched the highlights. Matt Millen did a really good job highlighting why the play worked and how the blocks were executed and then just he's like and then there's one dude that can get to him and he at an angle but <laughs> nope not fast enough. not going to happen so and then Adrian's Adrian's TD pass to Teray was just he threw it, it perfect. to the spot it had to be on the field cuz it was the only place that uh the ball could go and it was wide open it was schemed well uh Teray had once again only two receptions but 108 yards on those two receptions and one TD, and then we're deep inside our end, in our end of the <laughs> end of the, in our end of the field. And I got to thinking after Pristop hit that 84 yarder, that just was didn't expect it. 
just did not expect it. Not with the way this year has gone on special teams. I was waiting. This was going to get blocked. The crowd it was went be a wild. Touchdown, you know. There was a dude sitting next to me. He was about three or four seats away from me because there was like a group of like three people who were sitting directly next to me and they left like right at halftime and they never came back. Um, wow. And there was this old guy. And right before Prista goes to punt, homeboy's like, this man can only get seven yards. Like, let's see how far he can kick it this time. And just nails it. And I look over at this guy and the look of just utter shock and dismay that that actually happened. He was like, where was this all season? Where was this? And I, you know, he just was like exactly what Husker Nation was wondering. Like, why haven't we seen that? There's something to be said for team wide momentum in a game. There's something to be said for a defense playing well. For an offense that's not making mistakes, not shooting itself in the foot, that infuses energy into the rest of the game as well. And I think that's what, if anything, that's what the special teams needed was. Number one, it's the only damn punt in the game. Connor Culp did not miss a single extra point. And by God, he had eight chances to miss one. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it just was, it was an incredible performance all the way across. Uh, so, yeah, Henry has the kick, Sue has the pick, and Pristop has the punt. And I might have to add that highlight to our intro music. (laughs) But um, then, of course, after that, Smothers comes in and looked quite capable of running the offense, completed a key third down pass to Belt, and kept a scoring drive going. Runs for 11 on fourth and four, showing the speed that's probably going to drive defensive coordinators crazy starting next season if uh, Adrian doesn't come back, which is a conversation to have toward the end of the year as to whether or not we think he will because um, he has that option. And then yep. Sevion looked really good. Uh, that four-yard teach d- touchdown was pretty powerful. And then Masker comes in and <laughs> looks just like Eric Crouch against Iowa back in 1999 when he trucked a dude on a 13-yard run. Uh, the only difference is when Eric Crouch trucked a, uh, a uh, Iowa DB, he fell on his ass and Eric got into the end zone. Yes. <laughs> this one was a little different result, but it's still, he knocked the guy back a yard or two. And then he, you know, led the offense on a long drive to chew the clock to end the game. And it really started with that 13 yard run to uh, keep the, keep the sticks moving. So all in all, uh, that was as good a performance as Nebraska has put together uh, between the uh, end zones and between the yard lines on the side of the field that I have seen, well, since the Frost era began, except for maybe the Minnesota game in 2018, other than the fact that they, the defense kind of let them back in the game toward the end of the third quarter that day. But um, do you have some other notes and other things you wanted to mention before we get into the final stats? Yes, I just wanted to say that uh, a little bit of a shout out to Masker, not only just Masker as a person, but uh, the number that Masker carries and that he wears on yeah. the field. Uh, number 18, Brooke Behringer. Um he, he really showed honor to that number um, last night yeah. and played a, like, I, it took me a minute to realize that it was, uh, it was Masker because as far as I could tell from my angle of where I was viewing the game, all I could see was the number eight on a jersey, but then I realized it was a bit cockeyed, and I was like, wait, no, that's an 18. Okay. Masker's in the game now. Um, and yeah, he just played with competence, um, competence and confidence. That's, that's pretty yes, much the, uh, the way to describe Ma- Masker's uh, game that he brought into the fourth quarter. So I just wanted to um, bring a little was bit outstanding. of... outstanding. Yes. I just wanted to, yeah, I just wanted to highlight that. So I'll go, uh, I just want to talk one, one little bit more about our defense and how well they played. Um, Even though we did give up 293 yards, um, their ability to stack up when it mattered most was flattering, to say the least. Um, The Wildcats were at our one-yard line with nine minutes left in the first half, and we, or Mm -hmm. should I say JoJo Doman and DeAndre Thomas, found a way to penetrate their line immediately and force a turnover. Forced an incredible turnover. Like that was such, that is black shirts defense right there. That is what Husker Nation Mm -hmm. 
is looking for when we think of a black shirts defense, a just tenacity, anger, like a striking force that is to be reckoned with. And Jojo Doman and DeAndre Thomas and the entire defensive line showed their ability to do that. Yeah. And they stopped them. They stopped them with their ability to make it a possible 28 to 14 game, which if anybody knows anything about Northwestern, they are always good at finding a way to get back into games that they're not supposed to get back into. And I think that was another, when you mentioned, yes, the, uh, the dot that he threw to Samari Torre where that, that safety was sitting there waiting for it to just land right in his arms. One of the things that, that we as Husker nation are very well aware of is tiny little mistakes or tiny little mishaps that change the entire structure of an entire game. And we are very much acutely aware of it. And this is one of those moments that we as Husker nation need to remember and think this is the other side of that coin. This is when we do everything right. And we have success with our practice and success with our, what we, what we execute when we're not playing games and it translating onto the field. We showed that. Um, Mm -hmm. And we were leading 42 to seven in the third quarter when Reimer almost intercepted the ball on a third and 10. Like it was right in his hands. It was in his hands. And, you know, he was right there ready. Oh man, dude. And there was only a few, there was only a few guys. And I think that he would have, I don't think he would have scored a touchdown with that interception, but he would have brought it well within Northwestern's territory. And we would have capitalized off of that too. Um, Sure. But uh, yes, then the Wildcats went forward on fourth down after that. And we stopped them with another great quarterback pressure, which that ultimately led to the, 38-yard touchdown that Torre got. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. man, 293 yards and only seven points to show for it. Like I said in our previous episode, one of my keys to victory was keeping Northwestern one-dimensional, and we did that. Um, they they couldn't, had to throw. Yes, they couldn't get their running game to work, and when we got up, them, got up on them so quickly, they were essentially forced to stick with the passing game. And I mean, even though they did find open receivers more often than not with their completion percentage, they weren't ever able to capitalize off of those plays. And we shut them down when it mattered most. Bend, don't break. Like that is, that is what is successful in the big 10. You can bend, just don't break. Um, Our D line was headhunting all game. Our second level was also creating much needed pressure on Holinsky and our secondary was bending, but not breaking. Um, our special teams did exactly what they were supposed to do, not create any mishaps and errors that shift momentum. Martin, Oliver Martin called fair catches on every punt, regardless of the pressure or the, uh, the field or his field position or where the defenders were at when the ball was coming towards him. There were a few times where I saw he had at least a a 15 or 20 yard gap between he and the defenders and he could have taken it, but he didn't. And that was good. Yeah, They mentioned that on the radio a couple of times that he could have gone and at least got some yards, but they wanted to secure the possession more than anything, I think. Yep. And I think that's, what's important. That's what our Nebraska special teams have earned. They have earned the ability to be conservative and that's it. Um, because at this point, dude, we would like, like we said last week, we could be five and oh, now six and oh, undefeated in the top 10 without these special teams errors that we've seen so often. Um, so yeah, uh, we played incredibly conservative on all aspects of special teams. And I propose that we do that for the rest of the season. We do not change what we are doing right now. I don't care if we're having to take the ball inside of the 10 with a fair catch, just do it. Um, yep. Who needs, <laughs> and who needs to score field goals when you could just score touchdowns. That's some big, <laughs> some big brain moves right there, Frost. Uh, yeah, that was some- I, some pretty good red zone offense last night for sure. Yes, best red zone offense I've seen in the Scott Frost era. Aside from for sure. aside from uh the Maryland game in, in twenty nineteen, this is by far the most well put together game that I've seen in the Scott Frost era. 
Um, we'll see if this carries over to next week. Uh, yes. Simply because the level of athlete and the level of defender that they will face next week will be completely different. Um, but you can't put a price on the confidence that comes with doing what they did last night. Nor can you put the price put a price on a coach who, uh, watching TV, <laughs> as he was going in at halftime, they asked him, what do you think of the performance? You guys really came out and did what you wanted to do, blah, 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 blah. And his response was, well, I thought our defense let down there on that one drive and we let them score. We don't need to be letting them get back into the game. So I'm going to go into in that locker room there and I'm going to get on them. <laughs> he's up 35 to 7. And he's saying he's going into the locker room to get on his team. I'm like, about f***ing time. That's kind of where I'm at now. That's and some, I'm like, okay, that's good. That's some Charlie McBride, some Charlie yeah, McBride vibes right there. So, yeah, that as you said, 293 yards for Northwestern. 25 of 40 passing for 256. So they rushed the ball a whole 26 times for 37 yards for 1.4 yard average. No TDs, one TD passing. They only averaged 6.4 yards per pass attempt, uh, which is pretty impressive. 17 first downs. I still hate that number, but it is what it is. And their time of possession was just over 25, almost 26 minutes, whereas Nebraska was almost 35 minutes. Um and total offense for the Huskers of 657. Uh, they outpassed us. We were 15 of 21 for 230 yards, 11-yard average per attempt, plus one touchdown. Um, but when you can rush for 427 yards and 53 attempts and average 8.1 yards per attempt and get seven TDs, who the hell needs to throw the ball all that much, right? Especially yeah. in Nebraska when it gets windy. We did get 28 first downs, which was impressive, and that will... Uh, be an important number to take a look at when we start looking at the matchup on Thursday with Michigan. Uh, of course, time of possession, 34.05 for Nebraska. Only four penalties for 19 yards, where Northwestern had six for 53. So they had a couple of bad 15-yarders that they didn't need to get. And, uh, yeah, that's the tale of the tape. When you out-yard somebody like that, and you only have four penalties for 40, 19 yards. You have 35 minute, 34 and a half minutes of time of possession. You get 28 first downs. You're going to win those games, especially when you don't have any special teams miscues. Um, so why don't we move on? Well, I, I uh, still had some more stuff to say. Oh, my bad. Okay. Um, yes, because um, I, I hadn't finished my... So we're at uh, almost an hour now, so... Yeah, I know. <laughs> um but I wanted to talk a little bit more about field goals. I know that we're going to need to make field goals down the road, but maybe this game was what Culp needed to just collect himself and focus on the small things in order to find a good headspace again in the future. Um, yeah, I, just my final thoughts are, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens moving forward. But I liked what I okay. saw in all three phases of our game. We not only won the game, but I think we might have found a fire in our team and sparked a belief that we can truly win any of our games moving forward. I don't sure. think we're going to win out. I don't think that's a I don't think that's anything that we should expect. But I do think that we could find our way to a bowl game, and that's what I would consider the main goal and desired result for our season at this point. Um, yeah, absolutely. I do not. I do not regret predicting that we were going to lose this game because it was a delightful surprise to see us dominate so efficiently. Um, Greg Austin, Greg Austin's seat got a lot colder after this game. And those three losses are looking a lot less significant moving forward. And more importantly, it, it, honestly, it's, I, I, you know, I hate to shift any of my opinions about Greg Austin so violently, but we could clearly see good offensive line coaching with who they put in Prochaska and uh, Nuelli. Uh, so it must just be an individual results type thing with who is out there and the number ones prior to this game. Um, and all I can hope for is that we continue this level of discipline and that we can finally be a team that we aren't supposed to. Will that be Michigan? Will it be Ohio State? Maybe Iowa? Wisconsin is looking more and more probable as the weeks go by, but who knows? Um, it's up to our guys and how they choose to react to this win. Um, sure. 
All I know is that I feel good. Husker Nation definitely feels good. And I know Scott Frost sure feels good knowing that he just beat Northwestern by the greatest margin in our entire history of playing Northwestern. Um, or regardless- in the Big Ten, for that matter. It's our largest winning uh, uh, point differential since we've been in the Big Ten. And it's the most points we've scored since we've been in the Big Ten. That's Yes. This was the offense we thought we were getting when we hired him back in 2018. This is what we thought we were getting. And um, maybe we are eventually. I doubt it because I think I think Northwestern is in that phase right now of, re- of a rebuild where all their really good people are gone. They're, they're, they're young. They're learning. They've got some good players. They're well coached. They just, this is their three to five win year. Next year will be their five to six win year. And then they're going to win nine games in like two years and probably go to the damn Big Ten championship again because <laughs> that's what Fitz does. That's, that's um, exactly and, what he hopefully, does. Hopefully, this was a game in which we sent notice not only to the rest of the Big Ten, but also to Northwestern that says, uh, yeah, you might go by NU, but the, we're, we're like the real one. So, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and regardless of how, be, how bad the fake NU was this year um, or is this year, they have certainly been bad in previous years. And have always found ways to take us down to the wire. So yep. that in of itself is a victory that we can take away. And yep. it's, dare I say, a moral victory on top of a real victory. So yes, sir. that feels good, doesn't it? I uh, will take it. I yes. will take it all day long. It was it was enjoyable to be so flipping wrong about this game. It really <sighs> was. I enjoyed every minute of it of going, wow, was I such a Debbie Downer. Um, I just didn't... I. I hate to say it, but I didn't expect the team to respond the way they did after Michigan State. I thought somehow that there was still some mental weakness there that would that would crop up. But kudos to the kids. Glad yep. they were more mentally strong going into this game than I was. So kudos to the kids. Kudos to the coaches. They did such a great job getting them ready. Um, and yeah, wait, what hell? Let's talk about some guys that we thought really stood out. Absolutely. Players of the game. Absolutely. For let's me, on offense is obviously Adrian. Uh, for me, it's Adrian because here's why: his rushing yardage doesn't doesn't uh, wow you, and his passing yards weren't as good as he's done. But he was so flipping efficient. He did what needed to be done. The fact that he rushed fifty seven t- for fifty seven yards, but he got three TDs out of the deal. Threw for 202 yards, um, 259 total yards out of 657 that the entire offense generated tells me that everybody was contributing and Martinez did not have to put the entire game on his back. That means a lot to me. That means going into Michigan, he's going to have some confidence knowing that there's other dudes that are willing and able to step up. So for me, Adrian was my offensive player of the game. Uh, because he contributed enough and yet distributed plenty to the other guys. And uh, so how about you? What do you got for offense? Yeah, man. Uh, my quick thought about Martinez is exactly what you said. Um, I, he's not my player of the game, even though he would be. But since you picked him, I was like, well, of course I got to pick Jacques Yant. But I wanted to pick Yant, too. <laughs> it's so incredible when you see every single phase of just the offense all working together and taking that mm-hmm. pressure off of Martinez uh, to be that guy. Um, yeah. While I know Martinez is is probably the reason why we have any of the wins in our win column that we do at his four years that he's been here, what a difference it makes on all phases of our offensive scheme when we can relieve that pressure on Martinez to be that guy and everybody else contributes. Like you said, everybody was mm-hmm. contributing and that played a huge role in how, how vast our victory was. So yeah, my offensive player of the game is Jacques Yant. He had 13 carries for 127 yards, zero touchdowns. But like you said earlier, a 9.8 yards rushing average um aside from that 64 yard long that he had uh or like yeah i would have to do the math on that that's still that's still like four and a half yards a gain average that's exactly what you want from a running back that's what you want in your bell cow and dude i look forward to seeing what what the 
what he can do for the rest of the season. And if he can, if he can take that advice that they gave to divine a Zigbo, because when he watch him run, he needs to pick his knees up a little bit more. Um, yep. And if he can develop that boy, boy, oh boy, like just like Luke, explosion, just like Luke Reimer is, is going to be hands down, probably one of the most dynamic defensive players that we have, but as a walk on, I think Jacques Yant is going to find himself in that same position on the offense really soon, really quickly, if he can develop to a more well-rounded running back. Um, so he's my offensive player of the game. Mm-hmm. And who is well? Looks like we, to, you know, let me let me. Uh, um, what do you got to say? Make a couple uh, notes on Yant. I know we talked about earlier that we wondered why he wasn't in the game when we were inside the red zone, which is based on the way he runs football, seems to be tailor-made for Yant, right? Yep. I have a theory, and here's my theory. We put him in when we weren't anywhere near the red zone, and I don't think Northwestern or anybody else expected him to knock out 127 yards of offense between the 20s. They probably expect and game plan for him to be the guy that maybe gets the ball inside the 20. I think Frost was kind of sending a message. I don't give six shits from Sunday who the dude is standing next to Adrian. He's going to get his shots. And that includes inside the 20. So we still were efficient inside the 20 without the big dude in there knocking people over. That tells me something. That tells me that defensive coordinators can't plan for situational football. They can't. They have to plan for everything. And cover everything now. And I think that's kind of what Frost was doing that night. And chances are he was over on the sideline sucking oxygen after that 64-yarder <laughs> anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, we've got the same defender as our uh, defensive player on the game. Uh, and that would be the disruptor, Mr. Jojo Doman. Nine total tackles, eight of them by himself, including two sacks. Three of those were tackles for loss, including a forced fumble. The dude just made play after play after play after play. I love JoJo. He's just one of those guys that wears his heart on his sleeve, and then he's not afraid to uh, stomp on yours if he gets a chance to. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, JoJo. JoJo's my dude. Love that kid. Yeah, man. Stats don't lie. JoJo was clearly the most... uh robust looking defensive player that we had during the game. Um, I picked Jojo for the exact reasons that you did the stats that you just read. Um, and that forced fumble that he caused on Holinsky that Deontre Thomas hopped on top of. Um, that was, that was awesome. That was an incredibly, uh, proficient play and yes, left and right. He was creating pressures on the quarterback, rushing along the side. There were there were many times that he was pressuring Halinski. Same with uh same with Luke Reimer. Um they just had they both had a great game. Uh Luke Reimer had a great game. If he would have got that interception, that would have been awesome. But yeah, man, JoJo takes the cake on this one and I look forward to seeing what he's going to continue doing for the rest of the season. I completely agree. Um, so, yeah, there you go. Those are your players of the game. Adrian Martinez, Jack Eziant, and Jojo Doman. Why don't we move on to plus minus, which is a big bag of nothing because neither one of us made any points because Nebraska exceeded every possible expectation we could have asked for for plus minus. But the good news is we have one person playing plus minus with us now. Yes, or at we least do. this week he did. My buddy down in Alabama. Uh, who also wants to be on the live stream. And if he's the only guy that plays plus minus with us this year and he ends up with zero points, guess what? By Kirk default. Gets to be on the live stream. <laughs> so, this is why you guys should have just played. But You, you know. guys need to play. You guys need to play. So go to Gen Red Pod, or not Gen Red Pod, go to facebook.com slash Pod and look for the plus minus thread. It's there. And uh, we'll post the one for Michigan after Thursday's show, which we'll get to here in a minute. Uh, But yeah, plus or minus 150 yards rushing by NU. We blew that out of the water by 407 yards. I took the minus because I'm an idiot. Scott took the number because, well, at least he thought we'd get 150. So he's not as much of an idiot. Uh, 
And then Scott's was plus or minus three sacks on Martinez. He wasn't touched basically all night unless he was running the ball. Uh, so Scott picked the plus. I picked the number. And yeah, zero points for both of us. But Scott is still ahead five to four. So uh, And I am yeah. perfectly fine with our plus or minus results ending this way whenever we pick negative or less than desirable results from yes. the Cornhuskers. Uh, yes, so, so am I. We'll lose every... I'm I'm damn proud to say that I will lose this plus or minus battle so long as it's in, in regard to NU having success, the real NU having success. That's right. That's right. So Hydrox NU, you did not give us any points on plus minus and we don't mind one bit. So that pretty much wraps up the review of Northwestern. We really appreciate... All of you who listen to us, and yeah, we're wrapping this episode up because on Thursday, announcement, we will have the Michigan episode uh, coming up Thursday. It won't be as long as this one. Uh, we're going to be switching things up for the rest of the season. We're going to have two episodes per week. You'll get our game reviews on Mondays, and then our next, the next game will be previewed then on Thursday. So you'll be able to download our preview of Michigan game then, including our fun facts segments. So if you're wondering why we're not talking about fun facts, it's because we're going to do that on Thursdays. So yeah, please download the Monday show and then download the Thursday show too. We'd really appreciate it if you would. Uh, so yeah, we'll see how that goes. Uh, makes a much easier workload for both of us when it comes to uh, recording and uh, producing. Well, actually no, but still it just gives you more content. <laughs> Anyway, you can find us in any place that you listen to podcasts. So make sure whatever app you use that you go into the rating and review section and leave us a five-star rating and a positive review. It helps others find us. Our website is genredpod.com, though we will be moving to another uh, possible venue sometime in the near future. So keep your eyes peeled for that. Our social media, facebook.com slash genredpod and also at genredpod on Twitter. If you want to find us on YouTube, do a search for Generation Red Live, and there we will be, and we will soon be putting up some live streams starting in January. Email for all other questions and uh, suggestions and even comments is genrpodcast at gmail.com. So again, thanks so much for listening. He's Scott. I'm Ken. Together we're the Generation Red Podcast, your favorite father-son combo for all things Husker football. And until next time, remember, Iowa's corn still sucks, even though they're number three in the nation. And there's no place like Nebraska. Go Big Red. Hell yeah, beat the fighting khaki pants coached guys. Beat the fighting (laughs) rabbit squirrels. This podcast is not associated in any official capacity with the University of Nebraska or the Cornhusker football team. All opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the hosts alone and are intended for entertainment purposes only. Anyway, thanks so much for listening. Stay sweet and salty and go Big Red. Go Big Red.